through. Catherine Marshall said this, God is the only one who can make the valley of trouble a door of hope. Dan didn't know I was going to bring up the word and talk about hope, but he talked about it. I think God's hand was in that. Hope. Hope is what causes people to stick it out when they might give up on a job, on a marriage, on another relationship, on a difficult task, on a sporting event, on a challenge. Hope is one of those things that the world will try to grab a hold of, but if they don't know Jesus, they can't know real eternal hope. Hope is a vital part of our faith. There was a young boy that was trapped. It was in Asia, if I remember the story correctly, when a horrible earthquake hit and the whole school collapsed. He is there trapped with his classmates. There were actually some extra adults in the classroom, but staff were in there, and that day when everything collapsed, there were several casualties. Many people were injured. Several students were injured. And that little boy kept telling people that were saying, I can't do this. I can't keep going. People that were on the verge of giving up life itself. They just were, were just pushed to that limit. And the boy said, don't do that. My dad said if this ever happened, he would come. My dad is going to come. He said, if, this, if there's ever an earthquake and the school collapses, you wait for me, I will come. And he kept telling them, my dad said this, he told me. He kept telling me this. And they waited and they waited and hours and hours passed. And finally, the crews were shocked when they peeled back some concrete and they saw people alive. And there were people that were barely clinging to life and were only able to cling to life because they believed that little boy that kept saying, my dad's coming. And you know what? When the search crews peeled back the concrete, they began to find people that were alive. The dad was there. That's a great story. But in reality... Our Father will always be there, no matter what we're going through. Hang on. I don't know what else we're going to have to go through. But this is the message that Peter was saying to the Christians in his time. This rough, around the edges, this guy, this, this fisherman, this all-in guy, you know the guy who was overconfident and he demonstrated it with his mouth and his hands that's that's peter but peter had an experience himself as well and i'm gonna we're going through a message authentic living today first peter chapter 4 verses 7 through 11 is where we arrive today in our series our interactions and god's glory in parentheses i have another one another passage. I don't know if you pay much attention to your Bibles, 
But there's a lot of one another passages. There are people that do not attend church. There are people that might sometimes attend here who say things like, you don't have to, be, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Have you heard this? They haven't read Hebrews 10, 25 to 27, because that says that you can actually give up meeting with other Christians and become an enemy of God and burn in hell. So you do need to attend church. And more importantly, how do you... There are people that think you, you, you're just supposed to hunker down, especially during COVID, hunker down, stay away from everybody at all costs, do not associate with others, to stay away. I don't need people. There's people that'll tell you, I don't like people. Have you heard people? I just don't like people. Stay away from people. In fact, the whole world is going that way. Have you not noticed how irritating it is that you can't seem to go to a store and deal with a person or to the gas station? I purposely will go to gas stations and go inside to pay as much as I can, just so I can interact with people. There might be an opportunity there for the Lord to do something. I purposely avoid the self-checkout. Yesterday I had an experience where there were 16 cash registers that are meant to be manned by people, plus 16 non-manned cash registers. And there was only one cashier. I stayed in that line. And it was a long line. But I want to deal with people. I want God to allow me the opportunity to fulfill the one another passages. So what I'd like you to do today as we go through this, pay attention. If you write in your Bibles or you underscore or you highlight, you might want to do that for the one another passages. You cannot fulfill the one another passages without getting around people. You have to do that. And I would encourage you, there, there might be things that come to mind. You might think of people who aren't here today who could be here today. You might think of people who aren't here today and you don't know why they're not here today, but you have a, a way to access them and find out, hey, are you, are you all right? You might have people in your life that you don't have physical access to, but you can make a phone call, you can message them, or however you communicate these one another passages, we oftentimes forget about it because we're going through our own stuff. We're going through horrible times, difficult times, and we forget other people need us. We're going through our stuff and we need other people and we forget, wait a minute, other people need us. And I can tell you, if you want some good therapy, focus on helping others. That'll help you no matter what you're going through. So here, this rough around the edges, Peter is going to give us advice. Peter has been through a lot. He was, he was going to have to learn a lot in order to become the main mouthpiece of God. And I want to take you back to some of that quickly. Maybe you don't know some of this. Back in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus says this, Simon, Simon, that's he's talking to Peter. Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. The devil wanted Peter. 
And Peter just told the Lord, hey, hey, I'm never going to. I'm not. No, I'm with you. In fact, Peter just told him, I'll go to prison and die for you. And Jesus said, Simon, Simon, the, the devil wanted you. He wants to separate out who's genuine and who's not. And, and then Jesus said, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. But, but his faith did fail. Because you see, on the other end of those prayers, when people are praying for you, you still have to do your part. And Peter didn't do his part. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus knows, I'm praying for you that your faith won't fail. And I wonder if Jesus was praying this way. When he does fail, I pray that overall his faith doesn't fail, that he comes back. Because he says here, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter, when you come back around, you're going you're gonna to mess up. When you come back around, strengthen the people around you. When you struggle to the point where you, you go the wrong way, then you finally come back around, Peter. Your brothers are going to need you. Peter said to him, Verse 33, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And this is masterful of God in the flesh to say these things. Because look what happens. But Peter said, oh, by the way, this is the third denial. But Peter said, man... I do not know what you're talking about. When he said, aren't you, you could be one of those disciples. Aren't you from Galilee? This is the third denial. And Jesus is right there in eyeshot. He can see Peter. Jesus has already been arrested and they're, they're right there in the courtyard and Jesus could see Peter. Peter could see Jesus, but they're not really paying attention to each other at the moment. It says, and immediately while he was still speaking, so while Peter was saying the words, man, I do not, what you're, I do not know what you're talking about. While he hadn't even got all the words out, the rooster crowed. And at that moment, both Jesus and Peter, when they heard the rooster, both of them knew. Mm. It happened. And Peter, Jesus, look what it says. Jesus... And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So it got his attention. The rooster crowed and Jesus incarcerated. Turned and looked at Peter. Like, you know what that look is. No matter how, even if it's a blank stare, Peter knows when he sees, when his eyes meet, Jesus' eyes. Oh, he's looking at me because he knows I did it. Look what happens. Look at, look at Peter's response after Jesus looks at him. Peter remembered the saying that the Lord had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Can you imagine what Peter must have felt? I told him that I would go to prison. I told him I would die for him. He told me the devil wanted me, but I said, I would die for you. I would go to prison before I would do that. But you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. I didn't believe it. And I did it. 
I bet Peter was wondering at that moment, what are they going to do to him? Maybe I could have done something. He's taken a lot of a weight on him. Can you imagine how he feels about his own soul at the time? That's the Son of God. And I turned my back on him three times. And he knows it. Can you imagine how hopeless he must have felt at, in that moment? And God chooses this guy to write some letters that would ultimately be for us, but to the Christians there that are going through so much difficulty. They're going through so many hard times. There's, there's persecution. And here we are going through difficult times as well in our world and as a church for sure. And Peter writes these words, and they have everything to do with hope. He knew what it felt like to be in a moment in time where he surely felt hopeless. Jesus repaired that, if you remember, in John 21, 15 to 19. I spelled this out for you before, but I want to go ahead and do a Reader's Digest condensed version of that. You can look it up yourself, but you can't see the Greek word, so I'm going to bring them up again. We've got Jesus and Peter the main players in this dialogue. After John says, it's the Lord, Peter jumped out of the boat after he put some extra clothes on because I think he thought he was going to walk on the water, but he sunk, and he kept swimming, acting like, oh, I meant to do that. Kept swimming ahead of the boat. Could have got back in the boat and been warm. Nope. Kept swimming. And they get around the fire, just like the fire that Peter was around when he denied Jesus. They get around the coal fire. Peter's the closest one to the coal fire, so he's the one that's most lit up. It's like the spotlight is on him. He's the one that's acted like he loves Jesus more than all of the others. And after they eat, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, son of John. Peter looks up at him. Do you love me more than these? Because he acted like it. He's the one that jumped in the water. When he said that, the very first word he chose to use, Jesus said, agape. Do you love me in a godly way? Remember that? And then Peter said, yes, Lord, you know all things. I philos you. I love you like a brother. Peter was wrong. He used the wrong word. Philos is not as powerful as agape. Come on, Peter, get with the program. And Jesus waited a little bit, and then he said, Peter, do you? Agape me? Do you love me in a godly way? And Peter said, <laughs> Peter was hurt. Yes, Lord. I love you like a brother. And unlike me, because I would have been all over Peter, Peter, you're using the wrong word. Get with the program, say agape. But he didn't. Jesus did what he does to us. He says, Peter, do you? Phileos me? Do you love me like a brother? And Jesus, of course, Peter answered, yes, Lord, I, I love you like a brother. But it was painful to hear because Jesus was asking this of Peter just like he would be asking this of us. Do you love me like you say you do? Do you? 
In a prayer, do you ever say to Jesus, I love you, Lord? What matters more is what you say with how you live. Does your life say, I love you, Lord? And that's what Jesus was getting at. Peter denied him three times. He got him to confess him three times. And he clearly told him, feed my sheep each time. Peter, you're going to have to live it. And Peter went through a lot. Then he writes this letter. And as he begins in our text today, Luke chap- um, we're going to use Luke chapter 22 as a springboard for us to launch into it. Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sit, sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Think of that as we go into this discussion of hope. And think about where you might be. Think about where people you know might be. You know what? Outside of church walls, there's an, people that don't attend church quite often don't have hope. Some do, because some know Jesus. They just quit attending church, and they need to get back. We know where the real hope lies. And yes, we're going through painful stuff right now. But there are people next door to us. There are people that go to school with us. There are people that work with us. There's people that we come in contact with at the store, if we dare to go away from the automatic stuff, that need to know about hope. And they need to see us live this out, like Peter learned to do. And Peter's trying to teach us, hey, you're going through a lot. This is what you have to do. It's all about hope. When you're going through difficult times. Peter begins in our text today, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. And those people felt like it. The original recipients of the letters felt like the world was coming to an end because their world had almost completely come to an end with that great persecution and they were scattered all around. And sometimes we feel like that. And 2,000 years has passed since Peter wrote this. And he says... The end of all things is at hand. We don't understand time like the Lord understands time. He's given us a lot, and I don't know why Jesus waits. I mean, good grief, we live in a world where people don't even, they're teaching our children that that there's no difference between men and women. What kind of world is this? Why is Jesus waiting? We're getting nuttier all the time. The end of all things is at hand, therefore, be self-controlled. Well, that's not what the world's telling us, but that's what Jesus taught us. And that's, what, that's one of the fruits of the Spirit. And Peter is giving us a rundown. I don't know if you noticed this. Today, I'm not going to have points up behind me. I'm not going to have those points, you know, where this, 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 and this, because Peter already does it for us. He gives us points. They're not in order, but you might want to pay attention. Peter's kind of saying... Here's some advice from a man who has been through it, who's learned what it's like to live without hope and to have hope and to endure and to renew my faith. He gives this advice. First of all, be self-controlled. And second here he says, be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Did you know that? Did you know that your prayers can be hindered if you don't think in a way that's pleasing to the Lord? 
Be sober-minded. That's not what the world says. The world teaches us that we're supposed to take things to take the edge off, drink something, smoke something, inject something, put something in your mouth to cloud your judgment. That's not what the Lord teaches. Through Peter's letter, he clearly says, be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. He continues, and here's where, I want you to notice this, he starts off with something, and this is different order. Above all, this is verse 8, Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. I, I want you to cue in on this. This is a priority. This is the number one thing in the list. He doesn't say it at the beginning, but he says above all. So that goes to the top of your priority. Keep loving one another. There's your one, uh, a one another passage here. Earnestly. That's passionately, with tenacity. Keep loving one another. Why in the world would the Lord have to tell us to love one another? Isn't that just something we do as Christians? We just do it? It just happens? No, it's not. We have to be reminded. We have to go out of our way to demonstrate love for other people. It doesn't just happen. Because you attend the church and, and you say hi and bye, and you sing with people, and you listen to a sermon, and you have communion, and, and you give to the Lord, just because you do those things does not mean that your brothers and sisters in here know that you love them. So what do you do to assure them that they know you love them? We need each other. That's why these one another passages are here. We need to know that other people care. So keep loving one another earnestly. Don't quit on your brothers and sisters. And look at what it says here. Since love covers over a multitude of sins. Now don't use this as some sort of a, a way to justify sinful behaviors. Because you're actually really good at loving one another. You can do things that nobody knows about. You know, bad things. No. What this is talking about is God gives more grace to people who are extra gracious. And that's on His terms, not on ours. We don't play these card games with the Lord. Okay, so I'm, I told them I loved them. I told them I went out of my way and I did this for this other person. They know so I can do this stuff on the internet I shouldn't be doing. No. doesn't work that way. But if you want to have a good chance of having extra grace from the Lord, then love one another earnestly. Verse 9, the list continues. Show hospitality to one another. And look at this caveat, without grumbling. It's very easy to be a critic. If somebody comes to your house for the first time, they are going to notice if there is a crack in the wall or there's a chip in the paint. If, somebody, if, if you walk up to somebody and you just ate and something fell from your fork and it's on your shirt, do you know what they're going to focus on? That flaw. That's what we do. It's easy to notice the flaws and the problems. Very easy to be a critic and focus on those things. And every one of us have flaws. But we're supposed to show hospitality, have people over, be, 
Be good hosts and hostesses and don't get upset because they don't act the way you think they should. They don't do the things the way you think they ought and they don't talk the way you expect and they stayed longer than you wanted or whatever it is. It's so easy to be critical of other people. Instead, we should be focusing and dwelling on the good, building one another up, when we're being hospitable, it's not a very nice thing to be critical when our guests leave. So don't be grumbling. Don't complain. Christians, it's a... You know, you'd think if we were, as Christians, if we were living out our faith the way we're supposed to, you'd think that all over the place, in the news, and all of the statistics would always indicate that, you know what, when, the, when you interject the Christians to the equation, then everything changes. They are more positive. They are more encouraging. They're all these different things. That doesn't, that's not the case. And what that says to me is, maybe we're not living it out the way we need to be. So Peter has a list. How do we live with Hope and how do we get through these difficult times? This is what we do. Verse 10, it continues. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You have gifts that the Lord has given you. You have skills that you didn't get. I mean, you might have worked at it, but the Lord has granted you the ability to work at it. You're supposed to use these skills, these gifts, for others. That's what you're supposed to do. Whatever your gift is, try to use it as a benefit for others. This is how we do the one another's stuff. Not all of us have the same gifts. I don't know if you've noticed the artistry of God, but in these times recently, um, the sun is out more, which means the mountains are out more. And it's beautiful. All the different colors are blooming. God is such an amazing artist. Imagine how boring it would be if he chose to use just simply one variation of one color for everything. But instead, he chose to bless us with all kinds of people with different personalities and different gifts. We all need each other. It continues, verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. You see, that's the way it's supposed to work. When we talk, we should be speaking in a way that's pleasing the Lord. And what comes out of our mouth should be edifying to others. It should be beneficial for others to hear, or we shouldn't be saying it. I latched on to a mentor. I've told you about him before. His name is Seth Wilson. He was about this tall, very, very short man when it comes to the stature of the height of, of men. But he had a powerful, booming voice, and he knew the Bible so well that I didn't know when he was quoting Scripture or just talking because he did it so readily all the time. And how could you not be drawn to a person like that? I want to be like that. I love that. I remember having a situation I was trying to be more like him because he was so skillful. He didn't always say the chapter and verse. He would just talk. And then sometimes somebody would challenge him in the classroom and say, uh, Brother Wilson, you said this. But I think this, and he would come back and say, well, if you look it up, 
and he'd give them the chapter and verse, and that's why he said what he said, because it was quoted verbatim. And I've been, I, I remember a time when I did that as well. I remember when I uh, mentioned to someone that God is not a God of disorder. And when I said that, this man said that, well, what about the Tower of Babel? Because the Lord did that, you know, there they were, and he just threw confusion into it. So there you go. God did the disorder. And so I said to him, well, they were already confused. They were already thinking they could do something they shouldn't be trying. And the Lord just gave them what they were aiming for in the first place. But if you want to know where I got my opinion, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. You might want to look it up. And that's what it says. God's not the author of disorder. So if you want to capitalize on those kinds of conversations, learn Scripture and have them ready to use in your daily conversation. They could be helpful. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And if you want to bring glory to God, then live in such a way that pleases him. You want a scripture that says you're supposed to memorize scripture? Here you go. Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You might want to focus on that first part. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How does the word of Christ dwell in you richly if you don't know it? Know it. It helps. And I don't know if you notice that that passage I just gave you from Paul's inspiration by the Lord definitely parallels Peter's that we just read. At, toward the end, and whatever you do in word or deed, that's Colossians 3.17, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. We're supposed to do everything that we do to please the Lord. So the message in our series, Authentic Living Today, from 1 Peter 4, 7-11, our interactions and God's glory, they go together. How we interact with other people has everything to do with whether or not we're bringing glory to God. This other one another passage has a lot of meat for us. And when it comes down to it, if we can live like this, then the world can know a little bit more about that subject. Hope. These are difficult times. I'm one of these that tends to be a little bit of a rebel by nature. I, I don't like it when there's a trend. If there's a trend happening, I'm going to try to go the other way as much as I can. Right now, there's a trend. And the trend is using the word seasons 
And you're talking about times in your life. You know, people say, I'm going through a season in my life where this, we're just going through a, a season and it's like this. And Christians are really overusing this. It's on Christian radio. It's on Christian talk show people. It's in books. It's song leaders. Uh, in this season, that's what we just say it a lot. We're in this season instead of in this time. So I'm trying to, I'm trying hard not to use it because everybody else is. I'm being a rebel. I'm going to say that. But the reality is, what we're going through right now is, is temporary. The, the difficult stuff as a church that we're going through, th this is going to pass. The stuff that we're going through as individuals, our own struggles, maybe connected to some of the things that are hurting us in the church, this is going to pass. We have a hope that is way beyond anything we're going through right here, right now. This hope that is eternal, the world needs to know. My neighbors need to know. My family that I can't reach that maybe you could. Maybe your family that you can't reach that maybe I could. Maybe your neighbors or your co-workers that some of us in the faith could reach. We've got to do our part in sharing with others about this hope. The world is... If there's, if there's ever been a time where the world is ripe for a revival, it's now. And you have that hope. Let's share that. I'm going to pray. God, thank you so much for giving us this very tangible, this very real hope. Thank you for having us land in, the, in these letters of Peter. Lord, we need these words right now. Thank you for holding us up when we feel like we can't hold ourselves up. Thank you for rallying around us people who love us and give us energy when we have no more left ourselves, the energy that only you provide. Thank you that by your Spirit we can endure these difficult times. Thank you that you've demonstrated how we're supposed to love others. Help us to live that out. And Lord, if you have set this up for a revival before your return, help us to do our part. For those that are not here today who could be here, we lift them up to you as well. Whatever they're going through, whatever distractions, whatever has kept them from being here, Lord, help us to reach out to them and love them back. And Lord, for the community that surrounds us, Help us to do whatever we can do to be ready, to invite, and to impact our world right here. For your glory and your honor. And in your name we ask these things. Amen.